Turn to Galatians chapter 5, if you would. Uh, before I get there, let me just give you a little quick uh, update on my, uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I started exercising it again, so I just wanted to give you a quick update. Uh, I actually think I lost a little weight this week. I got my hair cut. <laughs> and uh, my wife told me if I wanted to get fit, I should do lunges. I thought that would be a big step forward. <laughs> and then, then I actually think my fitness, new fitness regime is actually working. My wife told me this week I was even smelling strong. Okay, enough with the grandfather jokes. That was actually for my granddaughters. Uh, back to the Bible. Huh? <laughs> you know, I, as I was preparing this, we started last week and I talked about God's pattern, his multiplication, and his means is the Holy Spirit. And that was kind of an introduction to the introduction to what I want to do. And this is the introduction. It really has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. But I have to say, it's taken me a long time to prepare this. Quite a while. Because I had to allow the Bible to change my thinking. Uh, I was raised, as I've said before, in a fairly evangelical, fundamental church not a whole lot of space for the Holy Spirit. And the teaching we had and that I've picked up over the years is that there's the manifestations of the Spirit, often referred to as the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, that are supernatural. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, which my teaching was always that it's natural. One has to do with ministry and one has to do with character. One has to do with the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the other had to do with developing something of character in our lives. And as I read this, and as I studied it, I realized that that was just wrong. That's not what it's about. And it took me a long time to get my head around that, because I had to unlearn some things. And so let me encourage you, if you've been taught that, would you just put that on hold for the next couple of weeks? You don't have to agree with me right away. You will. <laughs> just put it on hold for a while. <laughs> and what? Uh, Mary lives with me. She puts up with me all the time. That got me thinking an aside, and let me just say this, that... There is an approach to the Bible that is exegesis, which means not exegesis. It comes from a Greek word that literally means that the Bible speaks to us. We let the Bible tell us. And then there's another word that is called eisegesis, which is basically we, we try and fit the Bible into our already preconceived belief system. One is we read the Bible and we let it determine our beliefs. The other is that we try, we come with a, often a subconscious, preconceived belief system, and we only pick the, the verses that tend to support that. And we, we read the Bible with filters, with colored glasses, and we see what we already believe. 
not to be confused with expository teaching or topical teaching. There is a whole group that believes that expository is exegetical and topical is eisegetical. <laughs> Lost me there. But the bottom line is that if we look to the Bible to, to speak to us, it doesn't matter how we approach it, rather than we look to confirm our already existing beliefs. You still with me? Having said that, I want to do kind of an expository type approach to uh, Galatians 5, which means we're going to dig deep over the next few weeks. Okay? We're going to see, but, but you can see, you'll be able to see in that, that, that unless we let the Bible speak to us, we can come with preconceived ideas. Sit with me. Let's go to the Bible. Shut up, Russ, and read the word. <laughs> Starting Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That word lust is desire. It has nothing to do with sexual things, though it could. It actually, a Greek word means desire, intense desire. For the flesh desires, or the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, I'm going to help you out here. For flesh reads selfishness. For the works of selfishness are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Starts with, then I say, walk in the Spirit, and it ends with, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Seems pretty straightforward, but those two separate Greek words. The first one, I say then, let us, live in, let, let us walk in the Spirit. It's just the, the word that we use for walking. It's walking. But the second one is a different word. And it's actually walking in step with. Walking in unison with. Walking in line. It's a, the, more of a military thing. Someone who's walking in, in place. So it's actually a different thing. Walking in the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit. Now, let me just say this. I'll come back to this later. The direction in this passage is not to produce fruit. It doesn't say produce fruit. It says walk in the Spirit. We're going to come back to that later. It doesn't say kill the flesh. 
and his selfish tendencies. It says walk in the Spirit. Now let me, I'm going to jump back a little bit and give you some background. The background of this passage is a presupposition that we've already died to the flesh. This is not about putting your flesh to death. The presupposition is that we've already done that. We've already died to the flesh. The old man is dead. Let me just go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... Men as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. We read at the end of chapter 5, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's actually referring very similar to Romans chapter 6. So if you jump over there, let me give you a, a picture here. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We sang earlier that Jesus died for sin. We die to sin. We don't die for sin. Jesus has done that. But we die to sin. Or do you not know that as many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. How do we die to sin? We're baptized into his death. The old man dies, and we rise to newness of life. That's what it says. Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should also walk in newness of life. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in newness of life. Don't walk in the old man. Don't walk in the desires of the flesh. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the key. It doesn't mean that when we've been uh, crucified, when we've been baptized and, and the old man has been crucified, we rise to new life. It doesn't mean that we enter a sinless perfection that we can't sin. It simply means that we have been set free from the slavery to sin. We no longer have to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Doesn't mean that it means our sin is forgiven. We're freed from the penalty, but we're also freed from the slavery, the dominion of sin. Verse 11, therefore you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lusts or passions or desires. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead that your, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law, but under grace. Wonderful scripture if we understand it. In Christ, we walk in newness of life. We're forgiven. We're restored to relationship with God. Jesus has done all that. But we're also set free from the slavery of sin. I don't have to give in to my selfish desires. Or another word for that is temptation. Or another word for that is old man. I don't have to give in to that. I've been set free from that. I've shared this with you before, but I want to say it again. When I was young, I had a terrible temper. I would get angry quite quickly, and if things didn't go the way I thought they should, I would get angry, and I'd often get in altercations, fights, and I got saved, and I still found myself doing this, especially when I played basketball. I played uh, sports when I was in university, played basketball, and I would get angry if uh, guys were, were cheating or if the ref wasn't seeing things or if guys were playing wrong, and I'd get in fights. And uh, it's hard to believe, I know. <laughs> Old man. But I wanted to get control over that. I wanted to, to break free from that. And no matter what I did, it, it didn't work until I was praying, and I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me this scripture. I'm no longer a slave to this passage. It means I don't have to get angry. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, nobody makes you mad. You choose to get mad. Nobody makes you angry. See, I was always putting it on everyone else. If they didn't do what was right, I would get angry. If someone did something wrong, I would get mad, and I would get, and, and I could literally feel the, the level rising. Uh, someone told me later that there's a, a throwback to the Vikings, a berserker thing that you're angry, and then everything's red, and you just go crazy, and I would, I would fight people, and yeah, I, I'm going to blame the... Uh, American Indian heritage. <laughs> but the bottom line is, until I realized I'm no longer a slave to sin, as long as I allowed that to control me, as long as my belief was that you make me angry, then it's always on you. Rather than in Christ, I'm set free from slavery to sin. Can I get angry? Of course I can. But I don't have to. And over the years, I got angry less and less and less as I realized I was led by the Spirit and not by the old man, not by the flesh. 
And something changed within me, but it wasn't a natural change. It wasn't that I just disciplined myself. I'm not going to be angry. I won't be angry. I won't be angry. I won't be angry. Then I get angry that I <laughs> would still get angry. None of you ever have done anything like that. The desires of the flesh. <laughs> we won't go there. My wife, my wife wants to preach this morning. <laughs> when we come to Christ and we die to the old man, we're set free from the slavery of sin. We can still sin. We can still give in. Okay, so we're not talking that automatically we can't give in, but we're talking freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. What does that mean? That's what we were singing. I'm telling you what that means. It's a freedom that you don't have to Give in to the old man, to the selfishness. Whatever that is, whether it's greed or whatever temptation or whatever the old man is, you don't have to give in to that anymore. Self-centeredness. And we're going to see that the fruit of the Spirit is, is that. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go back to the bigger picture of Galatians. Galatians, Paul's writing to the Galatians because they'd gotten saved and someone had come in and said, your salvation in Christ isn't good enough. You actually need to add to that circumcision. You need to go back to be what the Jews believed as a covenant with God. And so Jesus is enough, you have to add to this. And his whole argument with them is, You've been saved by, in, by faith in Christ. You've been filled with the Spirit. Don't go back to the flesh. That's the background. And it's that background when Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust and desires of the flesh. Are you still with me? Does that make sense? Back to Galatians. I had a bookmark here, but I kept moving it. Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty, the freedom, and don't get entangled with the flesh again. That's what he's saying. He's talking about being set free from the old man. This... Please don't take this out of context. Don't, don't say, whatever liberty you want to do, for freedom Christ has set us free. He set us free from sin. Still with me. So he says in verse 13, for you, brothers and sisters, have been called to liberty. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And then verse 24, those who are Christ have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions. You have liberty from slavery to the flesh and selfishness. 
But don't let that liberty be an opportunity to return to selfishness. That's what he's saying. You have liberty in Christ. Liberty, freedom means that you don't have to choose selfishness, but don't let that very liberty become an opportunity for you to choose selfishness. Instead, walk in the Spirit. In essence, he's saying, let the old man stay dead. You've died. That part of you has died. It's been crucified with Christ. It's been buried in baptism. Let it stay dead. You don't have to say, I'm going to kill it every day. It's dead. Just let it stay there. Okay, having said that. This is why this is the introduction, because there's just so much I can't, can't get to what I really want to say. Fruit is a byproduct of walking in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, is a byproduct of walking in step with the Spirit. It's not a work of the Spirit that I have to make happen just like the works of the flesh. Are you still with me? Fruit doesn't happen by focusing on bearing fruit. I will be more fruitful. I will be more fruitful. We have a lemon tree in our backyard. And we get zillions of lemons out of it because Mary fertilizes it and takes care of it. And we get tons of lemons. And I get this picture. I can just see I, this lemon tree saying, I will bear fruit, I will bear fruit, I will bear fruit. No, it just is a lemon. And what happens? It gets fruit. John chapter 15. it up on the screen already. John chapter 15, verse 3 says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. This isn't about salvation, guys. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you cannot do anything. Is there a command there to bear fruit? Is Jesus saying, bear fruit? He's saying just the opposite. If you abide in me, you will be fruitful. Paul picks that up in Galatians and he says, walk in the Spirit and you will bear fruit. Not that I have to work more, I have to be more disciplined. One of the things that really threw me, we're gonna get to that later on, is that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That to me is a contradiction of terms. 
I struggle with that. How can it be a fruit of the Spirit if it's self-control? It should be spirit control. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Okay, we're going to get to that in a few weeks, which is why it's taken me so long to prepare this because I've always seen that in a different light. But the byproduct of walking in this, being filled with the Spirit, dying to self, being filled with the Spirit. I said last week, God's pattern is multiplication. His means is the Holy Spirit. Not just people getting saved, but the very character of the kingdom being manifest in us and through us is only by the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of my self-control and discipline. We'll get to this next week, but can you imagine what that means when that overflows? Everything changes. Our approach to others changes. Our look at the world changes. Everything changes as a fruit of being filled with the Spirit. Fruit's a supernatural result of remaining in Jesus and walking in step with the Spirit. Fruit is a supernatural result of remaining in Jesus and walking in step with the Spirit. Why? Because he lets us know if we're turning back to selfishness. There's a conviction. Sometimes we're blind to it because we've been so seeped in a certain way of looking at things and people, but the Holy Spirit comes along and he brings what? Conviction. When I start going back to something else. So what is walking in step with the Spirit? It's simply submitting to his leading, hearing his voice, obeying what he says. just walking in step with him. Fruit is the opposite of works. Fruit is a byproduct. Works is something we focus on. So what does that mean for us? I'm running late here, sorry. First, it means we need to recognize that the old man is dead. When you come to Jesus and are baptized, you die to your old way of life. The old man is crucified at baptism. Let me say this. It's obvious, but let me say it even though it's not, it's obvious. If you haven't been baptized and you're following Jesus, get baptized. It's part of the process. It's part of coming into that place of dying to the old so you can be filled with the Spirit. It's not an optional extra. It's not, oh, well, it just represents something I did on the inside. Yes, it does, but there's something supernatural that takes place as we die and are buried with Christ and the old man is crucified that we can then walk in newness of life. And then secondly, after recognizing that the old man is dead, we need to cultivate 
intimacy with God by his spirit. We need to learn to hear his voice and obey. I say this to Mary quite often. If you think it might be God, do it anyway. If you think it might be God, oh, you know, I had this thought that I should make some cookies for the neighbor next door, but I'm not sure if that's God or me. I really doubt that if you're missing it, it's going to mess up their life. <laughs> Unless they're gluten intolerant, then they just won't eat it. <laughs> Sorry. What they'll see is your intent of being loving. If you think something might be God, just obey. And you'll find out. If you feel like God's giving you a word for someone, don't go with some kind of prophetic, strange voice, and God says! <laughs> just say, you know, I feel like this might be God. And if it is, they'll confirm it. And if they don't, you'll find out what, when you're hearing God and when you're not. But your motivation is love. We need to cultivate intimacy. We need to learn to hear his voice. And that's for all of us. I don't care what background you have. We all need to grow in that. Growing in Christ is not just growing in knowledge, it's growing in intimacy. Lucy had dinner with us uh, last week, and she was telling us about one of her desires in going to YWAM is just that, that she'd grow in intimacy. She'd have time set aside to really focus on growing, not just in knowledge, but in intimacy. Would you bow your head? It's not more spiritual if your head's bowed or your eyes are closed. It's just that you're not distracted by other people. It seemed to be earlier today in the songs we sang and the, what Mary shared what I was feeling in my heart, if you're here and you have not met Jesus, everything can change. He's here with arms open wide, saying he's already paid the penalty of your sin, and he welcomes you. Today can be your day. Don't put it off. Don't say some other time. Simply respond to him. It's not responding to it altar call or an invitation, you have to come to the front. It's you and Jesus where you are.
I said this last week, but let me say it again for all the rest of us. Let's embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's embrace intimacy with God and walking in the Spirit. Let us walk in step. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But there's something of intimacy that takes place. Let's embrace that. If you haven't been filled with the Spirit, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you believed, you can. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away because the Father will send the Spirit. His, his plan, his pattern is this multiplication using all of us because we're filled with His Spirit and led by His Spirit. If you haven't, don't let old arguments stop you. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. God's pattern is the Spirit. You don't have to wait any longer. That waiting was not a pattern. You have to wait in your life until things are right. That was a time between Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, has been poured out once and for all. There's no longer waiting. The Holy Spirit's freely available to everyone who's in Christ. It's not like I have to wait, I have to tarry, I have to, to work hard. It's not about work, it's just about receiving, surrendering. If you've been filled with the Spirit, let me encourage you, that's not a one-off experience that you can look back and say, oh yeah, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's part of living in intimacy, walking in step with. Maybe you need a reminder that says, I need to get focused on. Our focus here in all of our worship is on Jesus. Absolutely plain and simple. We won't hesitate. We won't turn from that. We won't apologize for that. That's our focus of worship. But that doesn't mean that we ignore the Holy Spirit either. We're not worshiping the Holy Spirit, but we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. We're being full of the Holy Spirit. We're enjoying intimacy with God. So if you'd like someone to pray with you as we're dismissed, there'll be some folks up here in the front. I'm going to just call some people out. Lance and Christine, will you come up here? Help me out. Tim and Kate, will you just step over here? I'm standing here in front because I fell off the stage there. <laughs> I, I got too, leaned forward too far and I fell off. And I just tried to make it look like it was intentional. If you would like someone to pray with you to, to meet Jesus, would you just come over to this side? They're not the only people who can introduce someone to Jesus. I just wanted to give you someone to, to focus on. If you'd like to 